Well, second service, how we doing today? Everybody feeling good? I tell you what, Manny, Manny and Megan and I, we talked about it this morning. Um, first service is quickly catching up to second service when it comes to attendance numbers. We had people sitting on the platforms today, so we're, we're excited about that. I know as we've switched this two-service thing and gone to 9 o'clock and, and 10.30, man, we are seeing a ton of people come to 9 o'clock. So here's my challenge to you. Who are you bringing next week with to Easter service with you? That's not in my notes. I'll talk about that in a little bit. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, but just something to think about. I also need to introduce somebody to you. We'll come up here like I did during first service. It, it's weird to me that you can play and talk and like listen to me at the same time. Sometimes. Sometimes. So <laughs> I was talking with Coach Jackson in the lobby about you. And he's like, I don't know how he does what he does. Like his fingers are going 100 miles an hour and then he's talking, he's singing. Anyway, I digress. Here we go. So you've seen Judah up here a couple of weeks. He's actually been traveling up from Florida to hang out with us. But Judah has officially moved back to North Carolina. And, and hey, Multiply Church, we have officially hired Judah as our worship pastor one. And this is something else to get excited about. We've officially hired him as our youth pastor as well. So we have a full-time youth pastor, full-time worship pastor, and we're excited for you to be here with us. So this is what I need from everybody in here. Make sure you introduce yourself to him right after servicing and get to know him a little more. Uh, there's someone else that I need to kind of talk about today. And uh, man, I wanna, I wanna celebrate somebody this morning. Go ahead and come up here, babe. Go ahead and come up. You can come all the way. You can even come up right here. You're not going to go up the step. Why are you so red right now? So this is what you need to know about our relationship. So uh, first off, Jenna and I celebrate 10 years of marriage this year. So we're excited for that. And please, like, let me celebrate my 10 years. Please don't come up to me in the lobby and go, wait till 25 years, brother, and put your arm around me. Like, all right, let me, let me celebrate my 10 years, all right? But I, I, need, I need to confess, all right? This is a place where I get to confess before everyone, okay? Uh, so I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> what I do. If you didn't hear, she's like, what'd you do? Um, I don't do a good job at celebrating, all right? Uh, I didn't grow up with like birth, like we had a birthday, but it was like, hey, here's your cake. Here's your high five. Happy birthday. You're another year older. Jenna's family, on the other hand, it can be like the, the it could be Columbus Day and we're celebrating Columbus Day, right? Like we're going to celebrate every holiday. So Jenna's birthday is this coming Wednesday. So on the count of three, can we, we're not going to sing happy birthday. All right. It's going to take too long. Can we just scream happy birthday, Jenna? Ready? One, two, three. Happy Hey, can you bring me that microphone? She's got a speech that she's going to... No, I'm going to ask Megan to come up as well. Uh, so, babe, there, there was a, a group of, of people, a lot of people in the church. Um, they, they wrote you personal cards and personal letters. I told everybody that your love language was letters and, and words of affirmation. So, can we give it up one more time for Jenna? Give me a kiss. I love you as well. All right. Have a seat. Get off the stage. Awkward transition. Um, one other thing that I need to talk about is, again, per our constitution and bylaws, I need to make this announcement. Last week we made the announcement. This week we'll make the announcement. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of have this board vote, or excuse me, this member vote 
on April the 16th. We were going to originally do it after service today, but we needed to move the date so some of our other locations could get here. Now, here's the deal. We just didn't want to take the vote next week because it's Easter Sunday. So we wanted to make sure we got everybody in the room to take the vote. So we pushed it back to April 16th, but we have officially listed our land uh, to sell so that we can potentially buy another piece of property that's close by. If you weren't here last week, we kind of explained it all, but that's something that we're walking through uh, as a church. I'm excited because I feel like the Lord has given us a vision and direction for what's coming next so that we can have our own building. And everybody said, amen and praise God if you've been with us for the last five years. One other thing I need to talk about is next week we have baptisms uh, for Easter Sunday as well. It's something that we do every year. And, and I always get asked the question each year, hey, who are baptisms for? And the answer is very, very simple. It's anyone who has professed their, or their relationship with Jesus. So the Bible tells us that baptisms are just an outward profession of our inward faith. So we make it a party. We make it a celebration. We have people that have signed up for baptism already. If you're not signed up and you're thinking, man, maybe that's something that I want to do or I want to at least have a conversation about, our team's going to be available after service to have those conversations. And we would encourage you to sign up to go public with your faith. So here we go. We're, we're stepping into Palm Sunday. We're stepping out of one series and we have a couple of weeks of, of Palm Sunday this Sunday and Easter Sunday next Sunday. Just as a reminder, we have our Good Friday service here at 7 o'clock this coming Friday, but, but oftentimes as Christians, man, we can be hyper-focused on the resurrection of Jesus, and, and rightly so, because the resurrection of Jesus is what changed human history for eternity. When Jesus conquered hell, death, and the grave, everything absolutely changed, but if we're not careful, we can rush past the moments reading through scripture leading up to the resurrection, Especially if you've read through it before, like you know the end of the story, so you want to jump to where Jesus conquers the grave. But, but that phrase, conquering the grave or, or conquering death, shouldn't even be in our vocabulary. The phrase conquering death shouldn't register in our minds, but it does only because of what Jesus displayed on the cross and what Jesus displayed when he was buried and was risen. But the magnitude of Jesus conquering death is only set up because of the precursors that we read throughout Scripture. Well, let me kind of use this illustration. It's kind of like a wedding rehearsal. There's been a ton of people over the past year that's gotten married uh, in our church. But here, here's a few, just, just to name a few. I have uh, Dylan and Hannah Welch. By the way, I didn't give these to you like like intentionally before service, but I still have their wedding vows because I accidentally took them home. So awkward moment. Let me go over here and give you your wedding vows back. I was just waiting until service today to be able to do this. So there you go. There's your wedding vows. Read them. I'm sure you've memorized them by now, but we had a ton of people get married over the past few uh, years. Take a look at the picture of everybody that's gotten married. Can y'all make some noise for everybody that's gotten married? That's pretty cool. And then uh, I know a couple people have gotten engaged. So Darius, can you guys stand up? So how long ago did you guys get engaged? It's been like a month, right? Two months? Why are you nervous all of a sudden? You stand up here every other Sunday and play bass, all right? When's your wedding? 
Everybody's invited, all right? No, I'm just kidding. They're, you're not. Don't go if you don't get an invitation, all right? So y'all give it up for them. They have their wedding in October, but we also had somebody else that got engaged this past week. Y'all go ahead and throw that picture up. We want to congratulate Brooke and Robbie. They got engaged this past weekend, so we're excited for them. Do we have the picture? Let's throw it up. Boom, there it is. So y'all make some noise for those guys. But listen, out of all the weddings that I've done, We've done wedding rehearsals for every single one of them, some form of wedding rehearsal for every single one of them. And when you're standing up there for the wedding rehearsal moment, you're, you're not dating. Like, you're, you're engaged. You're, you're ready for tomorrow. In fact, standing there in that moment, you're not saying to yourself, we're just trying to see if this thing's going to work out. You're standing there with anticipation. You're standing there for what's going to come the next day. You're standing there anticipating the real thing. Essentially, what you're saying is, I'm doing this today because of what's going to happen tomorrow. And that was the birth of Jesus. That was why Jesus lived his life. In fact, I would say that's why he conquered hell, death, and the grave. It wasn't just for that moment, but it was for his second coming. It was for when he would return. I would say that that's what Palm Sunday, that's what Good Friday, that's what uh, Easter Sunday is all about. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to be in the book of Revelation, and we're going to kind of bounce back and forth. And, and I'm going to teach a little more today. I'm not going to, to preach as much. I'm going to teach. There's not going to be as many slides. There's going to be a lot of scripture. I want to make sure that you're taking notes. I want to make sure that you're staying with me today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 1. And it reads like this. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of them ahead, go into the village over there. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied up with its colt beside it. And untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them. And he will immediately let you take them. I want to pause right there for a second. I know I mentioned last week that the mileage on my truck looks more like a phone number than anything else. And the mileage on some of your vehicles look like the year that I was born. So I'm going to start trying this. I'm just going to start walking up to people. Who has like a really nice truck in here? Or a car? Who has a nice vehicle? Oh, there you go. You have a nice one. That's right. Kurt, I need your keys. I appreciate it. No, seriously. I'm, I'm, I don't need them. The Lord needs them. I'll bring this back to you sometime when the Lord's done with it. All right. Like, could you, could you imagine being the dude with the donkey? And these two guys walk up to you. You've, you've probably never met them before. And they're like, hey, can, you have a nice car. What kind of car do you have? It's a Plymouth, right? What year is it? It's for the Lord. The Lord. <laughs> it's a 72 Plymouth? The Lord needs it. I'm going to, I'll bring, I don't, did they take the donkey back? Like, did they take, because when I read scripture, I, I got two sets of, I got a colt and a donkey right now. I'm good. You can have the keys back. Hey, um, I need you to try that with your dad later, all right? I know you don't even have your permit yet, but just try it with, hey, I need your keys. Why? The Lord needs it. And just see, just see what happens. If you're a teenager in the room, if you have your license, try it with your parents' car. Hey, I know you have me, I know I have a vehicle, but I need to drive yours. Why? The Lord needs it, all right? I'm just, the Lord, like, could you imagine what was going on in that? The Lord needs the donkey and the colt. And, and I wonder what that guy was thinking. But scripture says that he kind of hands it over. Pick up in verse four. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He's humble riding in on a donkey. 
riding in on a donkey's colt. And the two disciples did what Jesus commanded, and they bought the, brought the donkey and the colt to him. And then they threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Verse 8, most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David. Blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. In the original language, it would have sounded like this. Baruch haba Bashim Adonai. Praise be to God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Hey, who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. This scene in and of itself is absolutely magnificent. In fact, many theologians would suggest there was about two and a half million people in Jerusalem. And here comes Jesus riding in on this colt and half the crowd is singing, hey, like, hey, Ryan, who, who is this guy? Hey, hey who, who is he? And the other half is looking back going, hey, that's Jesus. He's the prophet. He, he's the guy that is supposed to come to, to save us. And there's these conversations, again, two and a half million people. And scripture says that Jesus is in the center of the procession. And he's riding in on this colt. This moment is kind of like a wedding rehearsal of what's to come. And over the next few minutes, I want to take a look at Jesus' first coming and his second coming and how they mirror together to set up Good Friday and how they mirror together to set up Easter Sunday and how they mirror together to ultimately set up his second coming again we're going to teach a little bit this morning so in Matthew 21 we see see Jesus riding in on this colt but Revelation chapter 19 paints a different picture it's a different scene verse 11 says this then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there its rider was named faithful and true for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war his eyes were like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns a name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release a fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from the winepress. Verse 16, on his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of all lords. See, the triumphal entry, he's on a cult, but it's practice. It's a rehearsal of what's to come. Not because Jesus didn't get it right the first time, but it's to show a prophetic picture of what's coming in the future. For example, you've seen this stage change many times over the last two weeks. The floor is painted now. We have this London backdrop thing going on, and it's not by accident. It's not because we just wanted to put it up. It's because Liberty Prep has their production of Mary Poppins happening in a couple of weeks. And the reason they have this set up is for their dress rehearsal. It's for opening night. It's for when they do their performance. Everything is very intentional. Just like when we read the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus throughout the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's very intentional to point to his second coming that we read about in the book of Revelation. And what I want us to grasp today are the moments leading up to the resurrection and how they coincide with his second coming coming. So again, Matthew 21, Jesus goes to his boys. Hey, grab the donkey, grab the colt, bring them to me. Revelation 19, we see him riding in on this white horse, but what else do we see? In his first entry, the disciples and the crowd prepared the way. 
And in his second coming, we prepare the way. So, so look at Matthew 21, verse 8. Most of the crowd spread their garments and on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Again, they shouted, Baruch Habab Hashim Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, so that's the first coming. But how do we prepare for the Lord's return? Well, Scripture tells us that it's through our praise. There's 144 verses throughout Scripture that signify the importance of our praise, preparing the way for Jesus. Let me read a few to you. First Chronicles 16, verse 9 says, Sing to him, sing praises to him, and speak of all his wonders. First Chronicles 16, 29 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord. Psalm 7, 17 says, I'll give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. And Psalm 35, 28 says, And my tongue shall proclaim your righteousness and your praise all the day long. Our praise is prophetic, and our praise prepares the way for the Lord's return. My question to you is this. What type of praise is the Lord hearing from his throne room when it comes to your individual life? Now, I don't mean are you singing on key, because half of y'all can't sing, all right? I'm going to include myself in that. Sometimes I change seats, depending on who's behind me, because, no, I'm just kidding, I don't do that. But some of y'all really want to. Raise your hand if you've ever heard somebody sing off key at this church. I can't believe y'all told on people like that. Is it Curtis singing off key? Curtis, you, don't, you can't sing, Curtis. It's okay. That stash looks good, though. That new look looks good. Like, mustaches are coming back, evidently. But, but what type of praise are you presenting before God? Well, what type of praise is surrounding the throne of God when it comes to your life? And again, I don't mean the audible. And I have to be care- very careful when I preach like this because, in fact, oftentimes I would look around and like, man, people's hands aren't raised. They must not be worshiping the Lord. And I was, I was convicted quickly. Hey, you don't have to lift up your hands to praise Jesus. Now, what we say at this church is that's just a sign of surrender. But you don't have to lift up your hands. You don't have to lift up your voice. This is what I would challenge you with, though. I would say that your praise shouldn't be the same week in and week out. Because if God has something new for you every day, if you're the one always standing here like this, then are you really challenging yourself? Are you really stretching yourself? Let me tell you what one theologian writes. One theologian writes this. The actual Hebrew use of the word gadosh is an adjective for God that means holy or sacred. And we identify the verb yesheb, which means to sit, to remain, or to dwell. The word praise comes from the Hebrew talia, which means praise for song or praise for dance. Translation using the word enthrone or sit draw the same concept as if a king sitting on his throne or an individual sitting at a place of honor for a meal. So then the phrase God inhabits means that God rests in, he sits upon, he dwells within his people's song of worship and adoration. If I had to paraphrase that in one sentence, it would say this, his holiness sits before our praise. What type of praise is God sitting before when it comes to our individual lives? That's why worship is important. That's why praise is important. So in his first entry... We also see people asking his name, Matthew 21. Hey, who is this guy? But in his 
second coming, his name is not understood, but his title is the word of God. Revelation 19 verse 12 says, a name was written on him that no one understood except himself. Let me explain that to you. People who worship Jesus are looking for something. They're trying to understand the nature of God. And if you're in this room and you're looking for faith, you're not looking for a feeling. If you're in this room and you're looking for truth, you're not looking for philosophy or a principle. What you're looking for is a person. Too often we try to look for faith and truth in something other than Jesus. In fact, I would say there's many Christ followers that don't have as much faith in Jesus as other people have in the faith of the things that they follow. Do we truly have faith in Jesus that he is who he says he is? But the mystery of this entire thing, the paradox that we're faced with as Christ followers, is that it takes faith to receive faith. It takes faith to absolutely receive faith. But what else do we see throughout Scripture? In his first entry, Jesus was on his way to the cross. In his second entry, Jesus will be on his way to an eternal throne. In his first entry, Jesus was preparing to receive a crown of thorns. But in his second coming in Revelation 19, Scripture says that Jesus will be wearing many crowns. In his first entry, Jesus refrained from calling on the armies of heaven. He was beaten, he was broken, he was bruised, he was hung on a cross. And individuals mocked him saying, if you are who you say you are, then get down off of the cross. If you are who you say you are, then call on heaven's armies. And Jesus hung there. But in his second coming, what do we see in Revelation 19? That the armies of heaven will be riding behind Christ. There's one thing that I want to dive into a bit deeper this morning because the action is the same but the outcome is different in his first entry jesus is coming through the eastern gate now in his second coming scripture says that jesus will be coming through the eastern gate let me geek out for a moment so i just read the scripture to you in matthew 21 so the crowds are surrounding jesus he's at the center of this processional and they're 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 shouting at him some people are asking, hey, who is this dude? They're laying down their robes. They're laying down these palm branches. But he's riding into Jerusalem. And the gate that which he enters into is the eastern gate. Now, historically, we know the eastern gate is either, it's called the eastern gate. It's called the golden gate. It's called the gate of mercy. And, and the reason that it has many different names is because it's believed that that's where Solomon's temple of the Old Testament sat, was close to the eastern gate. So it was the closest that you could get to the presence of God when we read through the Old Testament. Now, here's some history about the eastern gate. In the 800s, there was a mosque called the Dome of the Rock that was built right inside the eastern gate. And then in 1541, the Ottoman Empire, what they did is they kind of sealed up the eastern gate. It was an Islamic nation that when they came to get, uh, uh, get in power, they sealed this gate up. And they said the reason they sealed this gate up was for a defensive move. But if we read in Ezekiel chapter 44, verse 1 through 3, we see this prophetic word given that the wall, the eastern wall, will be sealed until Jesus returns. 
This prophecy was given in 600 BC. It was 2100 years before the wall was sealed. And prophetically, we know that the eastern gate will remain closed until Jesus returns. Now, as the cool kids say, let me give you some more tea. <laughs> Learn that phrase. I don't know if I used it right, but hey. Did I use it right? Does that work? Does that work? Is it good? Okay, it's okay. All right. So not only did this Islamic nation seal the eastern wall to fulfill prophecy, they also put a graveyard in front of it. There's hundreds and hundreds of grave sites right in front of the eastern wall if you ever have the opportunity to visit Israel. The reason these grave sites were put there was because in many religions, it's believed that holy men cannot walk through a graveyard because they'll be considered unclean. And if they're unclean, they can't perform the task that they've been sent to accomplish. So this Islamic nation builds a mosque, seals up a gate, fulfills prophecy. They put this graveyard outside of the gate. So a holy man can't walk through. Because even in the Islamic culture and religion, they believe that Jesus was a real person. And if Jesus was who he says he was, if we put a grave here, he can't, can't walk through. I think they forgot to read the rest of the book. Because when I read, I recognize that Jesus conquered hell, death, and the grave. So if he conquered death and the grave, if he conquered hell, if he's already carried the weight of sin for the world, then nothing, nothing can stop him. If we continue to read in Scripture, we know that when Jesus comes back, that will come from the Mount of Olives. He'll walk through the Eastern Gate. We read that in the book of Revelation. It was almost as if him riding in on that colt was a dress rehearsal for him riding in on the white horse. People screaming his name. That second coming, he's on that white horse. And the armies of heaven are following in behind him. But what does all this really have to do with, with anything? They build this mosque, they seal this wall, put this graveyard up. Okay, a holy man can't walk through. In his first entry, in his first coming, the blood of Jesus was shed on the cross. And in his second coming, the blood is ultimately applied to the lives of every single sinner. By the way, that's you and that's me. So in his first coming, the blood was shed. and His second coming is the application, the last application. Now in his first entry, there was a sign above the cross that had this accusation in Matthew chapter 27, verse 37. And it reads like this, and set up over his head with this accusation, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. It wasn't a declaration, it was an accusation. But then we read in Revelation chapter 19, in his second coming, he's wearing the declaration of life. Revelation 19, verse 16, on his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of all lords. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 tells us to declare with our mouth that Jesus is 
Lord. Listen, I know that today looked a little different. I know I went through a ton of scripture because this is leading up to Good Friday. It's leading up to Easter Sunday. And, and maybe you're thinking, Zach, there wasn't a ton of illustrations today. Zach, I didn't get to, I didn't get to laugh a lot. Zach, you didn't sing Purple Rain today. By the way, has anyone been singing rain songs all week long or just me? Because I've been singing Purple Rain all week. People looking at me like, what do you, how do you even know that song? But, but what, what, is all this, man, what does all this mean? It's very intentional, I'll tell you that. Because this time of year, we can start talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And if we're not careful in churches, we can use church language that might make sense to people who are already following Jesus. Newsflash, we don't set this thing up for people who are already following Jesus. If you have a relationship with Jesus, listen, I want you to be a part of this family. I want you to be a part of this community. But more than that, I want people who are far away from God to walk through that door. That, that's why we do what we do. Not for the people who are doing everything right. Not for the people who think they have their life together. Not for the people who are just following Jesus day in and day out. But the people who are far away from God. Because there might be someone in this room who does feel like they're far away from God. In fact, there might be someone in this room that when you walked in, you felt like an outcast. You felt like you don't belong here. Hopefully you felt welcomed. You're like, I don't, I don't really do this thing. I don't really do this church thing. I'm going to try it out, but I don't, I don't really do it. If you're in this room and you feel like you don't deserve the love of Jesus, can I be the first to tell you you're absolutely right? You don't. I don't. We don't deserve the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus that he displayed on the cross. Listen, I have one point today, just one. And they're going to put it up on the screen. But here's my only point. We didn't do anything to deserve salvation. We can't do anything to earn salvation. But Jesus came anyway. And Jesus died for you and for me anyway. Shame on us if we set up another Easter service and don't take that message to people who are far away from God. And I'm going to lean in and I'm going to challenge us today. What, what would it look like if this room was full of people who are far away from God next Sunday? Everybody in the room can sit down and, and jot down a couple of names of people that, you're, that you encounter on a week-to-week basis that might not have a relationship with Jesus. There were 14 college students from Davidson College here, uh, first service. Where's my Davidson College students in second service? Boom, boom, boom. I got one, two, three, four, five, six. Anybody over here? Six more. All right. So here's the deal. This is what I challenge them with. I know some of y'all are traveling out of town for Easter. That's okay. If you're traveling out of town, do it the next week. But what would it look like if you absolutely owned your campus for Jesus? Absolutely owned it. Dude, I know, I know there's plenty of football players that are far away from Jesus. But I know they value your voice. Because I know you're a leader on the team. And you give it your all when you're playing on Saturdays. What if? What if? You gave it your all when it came to next week and just brought one or two people. 
Do you remember? Well, let's, I'm just going to come down and have a conversation with you. Sorry. Sorry. I know you love this. You're a very outspoken person. I know you don't. Sorry, camera angles and all that. Whatever. Let's have a conversation. Do you remember the first person that told you about Jesus? What was the name? Jim Birchfield. You can't tell your salvation story without mentioning the name of Jim Birchfield. Who will not be able to tell their salvation story without mentioning your name? Because here's the thing. You're not saving them. Let's be very clear. I know you're strong. You're really good at football. You ain't saving nobody. All right? But who couldn't mention their salvation story without telling people about your name? And when we, oh, I got caught there. There you go. When we, when we make it that personal, it's like, man, like, I, I do have something to give to this world. I mean, you have the story of salvation that you can give to the world. What would it look like if you actually started sharing that? As Christ followers, we're getting too soft and too complacent. And I know I'm just talking to this side of the room, but I'm talking to everybody in here. All right? As Christ followers, we're getting too soft and too complacent. I don't want to offend this person. I don't want to offend that person. I don't know if I need to share my story with them. Maybe they'll get offended. Maybe I'll scare them away. Listen, if, if we're not careful, we'll go through life just consuming Christianity opposed to giving humanity this gift that Christ gave to us, and that gift is eternity with Him. That gift is salvation. Again, being very clear, we didn't do anything to deserve it. We can't do anything to earn it, but Jesus came anyway, and he died for us anyway. I said this statement in, in first service, and it rings very true regardless of when I preach it or how we talk about it. We cannot out the grace of God. We can't do it. It's impossible. You cannot out the grace of God. And I've said this before at church. I'll say it again this way. Maybe you haven't heard it before. But for some reason, we think that time is more powerful than the grace of God. And what I mean by that is this. The further we are away from sin when it comes to time, we feel like God forgives us more. God doesn't forgive you more because you're away, away from sin longer. God forgave you. Jesus forgave you because of the work that he displayed on the cross. Not because of you staying away from sin. Now that doesn't mean run into it every single day. But what would it look like if we truly lived our lives that way? If we truly lived our lives noticing and recognizing that, man, Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sin. Not, not to just get me into heaven, but so that I could take as many people with me on the way. Can I lean in? Can I lean in for a couple more minutes? Don't answer this out loud. Don't raise your hand. But when's the last time you actually talked about the salvation message of Jesus with someone else? I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm probably supposed to do it every day, right? I don't. But man, when, when's the last time you've had a conversation with someone about Jesus and how he changed your life? I know this is a little unorthodox. I know it's a, a little different. But what if we went into this week with that type of mentality? I'm not going to worry about offending someone. I'm not going to worry about saying the right thing. 
I'm just going to worry about reaching somebody for Jesus. Because at the base level, we can flower this thing up. We can make it pretty. They can play really good. I can preach a decent message. That's not what it's all about. What it's all about is individuals stepping into a relationship with Jesus. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, hey, maybe, 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 maybe that's you today. Maybe you're like, Zach, man, I've never fully stepped into a relationship with Jesus. Zach, I've never fully stepped into following him with all that I am. I've danced around it. I've gotten close, but I've, I've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus. The Bible says in order to do that, you have to believe in your heart and profess with your mouth. And we read that in the book of Romans. And at Multiply Church, we believe that the most important decision you could ever make in your entire life is to step into a relationship with Jesus. So all across this room, man, if that's you, if you would say, Zach, I'm ready to get serious. I'm ready to step into a relationship with God. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. Ready? One, two, three. All across this room. If you say, Zach, that's you. Or Zach, that's me. And then maybe, maybe there's another group in the room. And you would say, man, I, got, I really got to step up my game. I've been playing church. I've been, I've been playing Christ follower. Yeah, I think I'm getting into heaven, but, but man, I'm, I need to take this thing more serious. If that's you, I'm going to ask you on the count of three to slip up your hand as well so that I can pray, pray with you and for you. If that's you, saying, Zach, I want to get serious. Can you just slip up your hand on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. Wow. Wow. Y'all can put those hands right back down. Hey, Lord, you saw those hands. The five or seven or so that went up. Maybe there were more. Lord, I pray that this week you would give those individuals opportunities to get serious about following you. Maybe, maybe that's them professing their faith or sharing their faith. Maybe that's them praying with or for someone. Maybe that's them stepping into a devotional starting today and following you with all that they are day in and day out. I'll be honest, church, there wasn't, there wasn't any hands that went up when I asked if anyone wanted to step into a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to do something a little unorthodox, a little something a little different. Can I ask that our church begins to pray for next week that individuals who are far away from God would walk through these doors that we would be able to display the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus I know it's weird, I know it's a little different but can we do that right now? Could I ask you to begin to lift your voice to pray for people who are far away from God? Lord, I pray for individuals in our community who are far away from you God, I pray for individuals who are, who are going through a, a hard season of life. I pray for the marriages that are on the rocks right now. Lord, I pray for kids who are, who are, who are running away from uh, their faith in you. Lord, I pray for students who, who have a tough time at home. God, I, I pray for everyone in our community who are broken and beaten and bruised. And, and Lord, I pray that somehow they would make their way to this church this coming Sunday that we might be able to display who you are, 
that we would be able to display that you lived a perfect life, that you died on the cross, that you were buried and that you rose from the dead and that the story doesn't stop there, that you're coming back, that you're still king and you're still on your throne. Lord, I pray that when you look at this church, when you look at this body, you would see individuals who are walking into the harvest. You clearly said that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I pray that when you look at this church, that the laborers wouldn't be few. I pray that when you look at this church, that we would get serious about our faith. Regardless of the age, regardless of the generation, Lord, I pray for every middle schooler in the room that when they go to their church or when they go to their school, they wouldn't try to talk about the church. They would just talk about you. Lord, I pray for every high schooler in the room that when they go to their school, they're talking about you. They're not worried about fitting in or looking cool. Lord, I pray for every college student in the room that when they go back to their campus, that their campus would be radically changed. Lord, I pray for every adult in the room that when we go back to our place of employment, when we go back to our neighborhoods, that everything would change because of you. Church, all across this room, could we step back into worship in agreement?